pastor said, I don't speak loud enough all the time. He don't know how loud I can get. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the blood that was shed on Calvary that cleansed from all unrighteousness. Pray right now, Father God, that you uh, set Robert behind the cross and let your Holy Spirit come forth with power, Father God. Prepare the people to hear a word from on high that you get the glory and the honor and praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> praise God. I have the first word. Uh, and for those that are watching me, there's some people that are watching me a little differently than others. And they're laughing at me. Uh, <laughs> So I'm giving God the glory in everything that, that he's doing. I have the first word, and the, the word reads as Dutz. In Luke 23, 34, it says, Then Jesus said, uh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As a title I would give you, we need a relationship, not religion. We need a relationship and not religion. You see here in this portion of Scripture, Jesus was using his relationship with the Father to bring awareness to us that we need a relationship. Amen? Amen. And this portion of Scripture also, he was showing the Pharisees and Sadducees that their religious exercises are not going to get them into heaven. No matter how religious you be, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're not going to make it. And and, and, And he even let them show it. And that by their religion, they crucified my Savior. Not relationship. Also, Jesus showed his love for man by showing us what we could never be without him. Without him. Amen? Amen. So along the way, when Jesus was showing them that you don't know me, and they're, and, they're, and they're trying to tell Jesus who he is. And he's been telling them before, amen, in his word in John chapter 8. When they were talking to Christ, and Christ said, I am the one that bears witness of myself. My father has sent me, bear witness of me. Then they said unto them, where is thy father? Jesus answered, ye, ye neither know me nor my father. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. Jesus was just sharing with them, you don't know me. And see, and this is where we are. See, they, they were so religious, they thought that, that their religion made them holy. But they weren't. Because if they had a relationship with the Lord, he would not have to say the things that he needs to say. Amen? But aren't we all working on our relationship with Christ? Once you stop, you think you're a teacher that you, don't, that you know it all. The Word of God says you need to be retaught. See, we need to have a relationship. And then having a relationship is continuous. Amen? It's continuous. Jesus also let them know, you don't know me. Number two, he said, you don't even know who you're messing with. This is the Jesus I know, amen? See, Jesus just don't, he don't just be playing with people. Come on now. Because he don't have to. See, with his authority, with his power, with his deity, he could call down a legion of angels, but he didn't. See, he showed strength with his and I like this word. I really do. With his meekness. Amen. 
with his meekness. See, some people don't know what meekness is. And because he had the power to kill who he wanted to kill, when he wanted to kill him, how he wanted to kill him, if they would ever walk this earth again. But he chose not to and chose to show them by, by example that they need a relationship and get forgiveness for what they're doing. See, it's, it's, it's easy to forgive someone who's forgivable. Come on now. Let me tell you something. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I got a beautiful wife. I love her, my sweet tea. No, 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 that ain't for everybody to say. <laughs> that ain't for everybody to say. But for me, she's forgivable. Maybe not for everybody. Because sometimes, you know, you know, when you have a relationship, I'm talking now. When you have a relationship, I can look back and tell my wife don't like what I just said. She ain't said a word. Now, I ain't going to tell y'all what I see, but I see it and I know it. Then I know to straighten up. Amen? Amen? That's how good God is. I can come in the house, look at my wife. She can give me that look. So, oh, man, now I got to figure out what happened. Amen? <laughs> but that's that relationship. And if I didn't have that relationship, I'd walk right by her. Wouldn't even care. But see, to have a relationship, you have to have love. Amen? You have to have love, not love like you care for your pet. No, no. Not love like you have for that car. You know them idols I'm talking about? Love that you have for them cars and things. No, 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 no. You got to have the kind of love that just don't care what happens. You still love them. No matter what they say, you still care for them. No matter what they do, you still care what happens to them. Jesus showed us that love. Amen? And Jesus got away, got away, you know. I remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they, amen. And, and, and Jesus said in John 8, 56, he said, uh, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Mm -hmm. He saw it and was glad. Mm -hmm. Now, see, they're religious now. Remember, I said that, right? Mm -hmm. Then they said unto him, thou yet 50 years old hast thou seen Abraham. Jesus said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Well, see, Jesus was talking above them. If they had a relationship, they would be there with him. You understand? Jesus was talking something that they didn't understand in this flesh. Jesus was speaking eternally. Amen? Amen. Jesus was telling them things that the Father had told them before. That's why he said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. Because nobody else called himself I am but the Father. He's sharing his trinity, his power. Before Abraham was, I am. Want them to know we have an eternal father, amen. And he let them know he is eternal. He's sharing his relationship that he has with his father, that we can have a relationship with him so that we can have a relationship with the father. Amen. amen. I don't call nobody else sweet nothing but my tea. Amen. I got a relationship with her, amen. And God wants you to have a relationship. He's doing the same for us on the cross, amen. And sharing his relationship, the love that he has for us. Even when we do wrong, he still loves us. Yeah. Amen? When he was on the cross, they plucked the hairs out of his beard. When he was walking towards the cross, they ripped the flesh off his back. When he was walking on to the cross, his bare bones were singing. When he was on the cross, he didn't even look like himself. They mocked him and impaled a crown of thorns on his head. In his flesh, in his skull. But Jesus was showing us we need a relationship. And that while 
while our own sins stand in the way, he said, Father. When we turned our back on the Lord, he said, Father. When we wanted to do our own thing, he still said, Father. When I wanted to sin, he said, Father. When I wanted to lie, he said, Father. When I wanted to cheat, he said, Father. He was showing me the relationship that I need with the Father. So that I can look at my child and say, and know, and know that no matter what they do, Father. Somebody stood on the cross and called out to the Father for me. Had a relationship for me. Shared his relationship with his father for me. Amen. I'm not leaving you out, but you got to be your own. Me. This thing is personal between you and Jesus. He did this thing for me. I was the one that chose to have idols. And still he said, Father. I was the one that turned my back on his word. And still he said, Father. I was the one that decided to commit all kind of things. And yet he said, Father. You see, everybody's sin is not everybody's sin. What turns you from the Lord won't turn me nowhere. What makes you look twice won't make me look in that direction. But I'm so glad that he said, Father. Hey, man, look, we live in a different age now. My time is winding up. And not everybody's a fornicator, idolater. Not everybody's an adulterer. Not everybody does that. Amen? Amen. But if you got a job in this country, you've done your taxes. Amen? Mm. Amen. I hope he hadn't, didn't have to say, Father, forgive them. For they cheated on their Trump taxes. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you, now look, y'all laughing. Not everybody in here is laughing. But I'm telling you something. I, I serve a jealous God, amen? And Jesus Christ is showing us, right? Even, even while, while we're sinning. See, look, God looks at all of us. It don't matter if you were the CEO, the president, the pastor, you know, some of us are rugged construction men. Amen? I remember when I, when I had my child. Amen? And I was, you know, I didn't have a, a keg then. It probably wasn't a six-pack either. But look, I had some guns going on. And, and uh, I had some sweat on my brow. Amen? I felt a little tough. Amen? A little rough from the street. Amen? God was good to me. Amen? And he gave me this baby. I said, Lord, have mercy. Amen, amen. My mother-in-law will tell you. My wife will tell you. And I had this little girl in my arms. Mm. I didn't want nobody else to touch her. Mm. I wanted to protect her and keep her. Mm. Oh, my God. It was really embarrassing. I look back now. Mm. I didn't let nobody touch my baby. Nobody. But that's how God is looking at us. Even when we're doing wrong, he won't let nobody touch you. Even when you're going the wrong way, he's going to protect you. Jesus was on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Um, Pastor Tony has been a 
good friend for many years. We used to co-teach a Sunday school class together. And um, it's nice to see his daughter here and uh, Calvin here, different people I've known for many years. And uh, Pastor uh, Tony gave me permission to, I don't know, advertise is the right word, but to uh, show you these booklets. For the last year, I've been uh, working on writing these booklets, and uh, they're still a work in progress. They haven't fully arrived yet, but um, I I wrote them because uh, when I was a college student, I wished that I had booklets like this that I could have read then that would have really um, helped me in beginning my Christian life. So um, I'm hoping that they will be helpful to a lot of other people. And um, I I have them for sale for a dollar a piece, which is just barely the cost of printing them. But I'm going to give both booklets for free to everyone here today who wants them, provided provided they agree to email me and tell me what they liked and what they didn't like about them after they read them. Okay, that's the deal. So anyone who wants them and is willing to do that, I'll hand them out to you afterwards. Okay. So uh, the word that I'm speaking on is Luke 23:34. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing. Oh, wait a minute, that's wrong. And that was the last one. <laughs> my fault. We move, move in my Bible here to the correct one. <laughs> okay. Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've already spoken to us. We pray that you'll speak to us again in this message and in each message today. In Jesus' name, amen. An alternate name for my sermon here is, What in the World Happened to the Thief on the Cross? There were two thieves crucified with Jesus. Both of them spoke to Jesus, but he only spoke back to one of them. And we'll call this one, the one that Jesus spoke back to, the thief on the cross. I want us to consider his story and try to figure out what happened to him. First, think about the situation there at the cross. Jesus' 12 followers were afraid and intimidated. Most of them weren't even there. Those that were there kept their mouths shut. The Jewish chief priests and leaders took charge of the situation, they started mocking Jesus. They made fun of him as a fake. If you're the son of God, ha, 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 come down from the cross, ha, 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 then we'll believe you, ha, ha, ha. Everyone else followed their lead. The common people gathered around him and made fun of him too. The Roman soldiers eagerly joined in. Even the robbers dying on the cross with him, in spite of their own pain and anguish, still used that little strength they had left to make fun of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, points this out to us. 
Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Suddenly, an amazing change took place in the heart of one of those robbers, the thief on the cross. Verse 40 says, he called out to his partner in crime hanging on the cross on the other side of Jesus and said, don't you fear God? You're under the same condemnation, but you and I deserve it. This man hasn't done anything wrong. Whereas a moment before, the thief on the cross was going along with all the mockery. He didn't have any thoughts or any twinge of conscience. He joined in enthusiastically. Now suddenly, he couldn't stand the unrighteousness of his fellow criminal harassing Jesus. When he knew this fellow was getting exactly what he deserved and Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. It just didn't seem right in his eyes, so much so that he had to speak out against his fellow robber and speak up in behalf of Jesus. In this whole gathering of people, everyone was either harassing Jesus or being completely silent. He was the only person who spoke up in Jesus' behalf. And he was a thief dying on a cross. Isn't that amazing? I'm sure his fellow thief wondered, what in the world happened to you? (laughs) And we too must ask ourselves that same question. His words give us an indication of what had happened to him. He said, don't you fear God? Indicating that now he did fear God. He had no fear of God in the past when he was robbing and stealing. Even a few minutes earlier, he didn't fear God when he was reviling Jesus. Even though the leaders, the common people around him, the Roman soldiers, his fellow criminals, all of them were showing no fear of God, Suddenly, he was afraid of God. It no longer bothered him that he was dying on the cross. In a few hours, he would be dead. He accepted that. What he was worried about now was if breaking man's law brought such a terrible punishment on him that he would be dying on a cross for it, what is going to happen to him when he faces God and God's judgment for breaking God's laws. That's what he was afraid of, and rightly so. Verse 42 says, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now think about that amazing statement. He calls Jesus Lord. He believes that Jesus is going to have a kingdom in the future. That means he must believe that Jesus is going to rise from the dead in order to establish such a kingdom. He believed that Jesus is going to raise other people from the dead to participate with him in this future kingdom. And he says, remember me, that is, forgive me 
raised me from the dead, allow allow me to be one of those people who enter that kingdom with you. Jesus' own disciples had given up on him. Not one of them now believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, let alone that he would have a future kingdom. Where does this criminal dying on the cross get such amazing faith, more so than any other person there, possibly more so than any other person in the whole world at that time? What in the world happened to the thief on the cross? Here's the short answer. God did it. Here's the the slightly longer answer. (laughs) This man was Jewish. Even though he was a criminal, as a Jew, he'd been exposed to certain things. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that God was holy. He knew that he needed God's mercy. Jesus was a miracle worker. Everybody in Jerusalem, including the thief on the cross, knew he had raised Lazarus from the dead. He knew there was going to be a Jewish Messiah promised to come someday. And suddenly, while he was on that cross, God gave him a moment of clarity where all these biblical facts and information gelled together into a perfect picture. He could see clearly now that Jesus was the Messiah. He would rise from the dead. He would raise his saints. He would set up his kingdom, and he had the power to forgive him and to raise him from the dead and to include him in his kingdom. So he asked Jesus to do this. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The Bible says no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. The Bible says anyone who's saved is saved by grace through faith and that this faith is a gift of God. God took all these biblical facts rattling around in this man's mind and formed this picture and gave him this faith. Now, after all that background, we can understand Jesus' response. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Think first, though, about what Jesus did not say. He did not say, too late for you. If you were going to live for a while and could change your ways and show true repentance, then maybe we'd have something to talk about. But not now. It's too late. You've made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. No, no. He didn't say that. He didn't even say, well, you do have a better attitude now, and I appreciate that. So... After you've gone through two or three million years of purgatory, maybe then we can let you into heaven. We'll have to see. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say, I think there's a small place in the outskirts of heaven that maybe we could give to you. 
And perhaps after a few billion years of strong spiritual growth, I could even let you see me once in a while. No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Does it get any better than that? I don't think so. Amazing, wonderful. In 2008, my mother was on her deathbed, and in a slightly similar way to the thief on the cross, God gave her a moment of clarity before she died. Suddenly, Jesus became very real and very precious to her, and she had a clear and strong faith. In my own case, when I was 19 years old, God gave me a moment of clarity while I was talking to a man about the Bible. Suddenly, all the different things I had heard about the Bible came into focus, and I could see clearly that I was guilty of sin, that I was under God's wrath, that Jesus had died for me, that Jesus could forgive me, and I asked him to do so. And my life has never been the same since. Amen. How about you? How do you compare to the thief on the cross? Maybe you're surrounded with people on your job or among your friends or in your own family who make fun of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, yeah, right. Maybe you've said or thought things like that yourself in the past. Has God given you a moment of clarity where the truths of the Bible come alive to you. You see yourself as a sinner. You see your God's wrath as coming. You see that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who died for you and rose again. And you see that he can forgive you and give you a new life. And you've asked him for that. I pray that God has given you such a moment of clarity. Or if he hasn't, that he will. No one should ever think. It's too late for me. My sins are too great. God will never be able to forgive me. Just think of the thief on the cross. What Jesus did for him, he will also do for you. Let's pray. Father. Damn, that's all right. Just don't call me late for dinner. Mercy said no. Hallelujah. Your mercy had some say-so. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bless the name of the Lord. I will be sharing with you the third word from the cross from John 19. Let's go back to verse 25 through 27. And the scriptures read as thus. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his home. The word of God.
God, for the people of God. Praise be to God. God, we thank you for this time you've allocated for us to come before your throne of grace and mercy. God, as we examine your word, we thank you for what you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A command from the cross. The relationship between a mother and son is special, as well as unique, for it garnishes a love that is sometimes unexplainable. Likewise, the relationship between a son and a mother. And this relationship, galvanized with love, embodies a deep desire for the son to take care of his mother. And this scenario is played out every June at the NBA draft, when young men coming out of college are drafted in the first round, making them instant millionaires. And when asked, what will you do with the millions? They respond with pride and joy, I'm gonna take care of my mother. And Jesus, the savior of the world, who finds himself purposely clinging to an old rugged cross on a mount called Calvary for the sins of all mankind, set the bar for sons worldwide to respond in this manner towards their mothers. You see, Jesus, while in the midst of pain, brought on by physical punishment for loving people so much, he was willing to die makes known his desire to take care of his earthly mother, Mary, who in the scriptures, Jesus refers to her as woman, the name given to Eve by Adam upon her being created by the Lord Jesus. Now, you would think that after being tortured by the Romans, called out by the Jews, and sold out by his disciples, Jesus would have an overwhelming desire to assault those that assaulted him, curse those that cried crucify him, and seek revenge for his boys who ran out on him. But amazingly, supernaturally, lovingly, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of God, found a way out of no way and took his attention off his foes and placed his attention on his family. You see, sometimes in this life, Sister Kanita, you have to take your attention off your foes who want to destroy you and place your attention on your family who are destined to be there for you when you're hurting, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, and you feel all alone. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, i.e., God in the flesh, was able to endure harassment to his frame and still remain focused on his family. Jesus, whose body was marred, was still able to focus on his mother. Jesus, whose diaphragm was dented, but was still able to focus on his most dedicated disciple that he may voice this command from the cross. Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. Now, this was not a suggestion, y'all, an implication or a question, 
but a command from the cross of Calvary for his family to exercise unity in the face of brutality. This command from the cross was for his family to exercise fellowship, community, camaraderie, and harmony built on the firm foundation called love. And who better to receive this commandment from the cross than Mary, the one that was privileged to carry our Lord, the author and innovator of love, in her belly for nine months? Who better to receive this command from the cross than John, the disciple that loved Jesus and the disciple that Jesus loved? And this command from the cross that was voiced by our Savior over 2,000 years ago, Brother Tim, is still relevant. It's radical, and it's full of a rebooting, the family back to oneness. Because when we look at the state of our families today, we see a breach, a disconnect, a disunity which has brought on, was brought on by us allowing the enemy to affect our family values, our morals, and our traditions. That's why it's so important on this day, this Good Friday, that we commit our families to the command from the cross, which is woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. That the Lord's biblical idea for the family be exposed to the world. A command from the cross. Amen. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? I heard some good stuff today that just blessed my heart. I'm so grateful to God today. I have the privilege of the fourth word, which reads from Mark 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabbathani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew records the same in verse uh, 46 of of chapter 27. It says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want to contemplate the question, why? Um, in our English rendering, uh, we, have, uh, we understand the word why is an interrogative pronoun, and it's looking for evidence for an action. In this case, it's asking the question, what is the evidence that warrants this action of forsaking? Why has thou forsaken me? It's also looking into the question or inquiring concerning this uh, restatement, if you will, this uh, new uh, statement of our relationship. He says, our relationship is my God, my God. It's a personal relationship. So I am now forsaken, but you have been my God. Matthew records uh, Jesus was mocked on this very question. 
Uh, our brother already said it earlier. Uh, likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and he will, we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. So yes, it is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit that is doing the forsaking here. So the question is rooted in the contrast. Matthew says of Jesus that the Spirit of God descended upon him at his baptism and said to concerning Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So why? John, in chapter 8, uh, Jesus is giving his own testimony about his relationship with Jesus. And he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do all, nothing of, on my own authority, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And he says, and he that sent me is with me. He has not ever left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. So again, why? There's no evidence warranting this action. The current state of dying on a cross, the instrument of death that involved the hanging on of a tree that Deuteronomy 6 says is a curse for anyone occupied therein. So what is the evidence? I've pleased you. You are well pleased. I am always with you. You've never left me alone. Paul would later say that it was the insufficiency of our flesh to save us. That is, it is not possessed within us the ability to deliver ourselves from sin. So Paul says it this way, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did this in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So sin, the curse that Deuteronomy talks about, is the reason why. Why has he been forsaken? Because sin is the reason he's forsaken. Uh, he says to Cain uh, in, in, in the beginning in Genesis, sin lies at the door and, and it wants to rule over you. This sin that ravaged and raged in Cain, causing him to kill his brother Abel, but in Jesus it gets condemned in the flesh. So that is why. He uses the word forsaken expressed in the word sabathani, conveying the emotion of distress. I'm crying in distress. And, 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 and in this moment, Jesus, in effect, becomes Cain. You look at the contrast here. The thing that, uh, that called sin that, as it, with Adam and Eve, caused God to forsake his beloved Jesus to give insight to the experience on the cross, the word forsaken means you left me behind. It means you've deserted me, you've abandoned me, you've left me in straits, uh, you've, you've, you've left me helpless, totally abandoned, and, and utterly forsaken. Daniel said this would be true of the Messiah. Seventy weeks are determined upon the people, upon the holy hill to finish the transgression. That's what he's going to do on the cross. He's going to finish the transgression, make an end of sin, make a reconciliation for iniquity, and bring everlasting righteousness. But it goes on to say, and after three score and two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. 
This is why. Cut off, but not for anything he has done. Jesus told his mother and Joseph, I must be about my father's business. When Peter rebuked Jesus for talking of suffering and dying, Jesus says, you get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things of God. The reason why I share this is because Jesus is now becoming our sin for us. He is taken upon sin upon himself, but he did not uh, forsake that moment. He didn't run away from it. He took it upon himself because he says, I, you, don't, you don't savor the things of God, Satan, but I do. The word savor means agree, even with this kind of path, even if it means separation from the Father in this moment, even if it means the pain of the cross, I must do this. Why did he do it? The Bible says in Hebrews, there was something called the joy that was set before him despising the shame. Uh, that's what was why he was doing. What is that joy that is set before him? Yes, you might say it's because he's returning to glory. And he talked a lot about that in John 17. I'm going to be returning to glory. In John 13, he was anticipating the glory. Yes, he's looking at returning to the Father, but he's also looking at what God has been dreaming about since the Garden of Eden, that you and I this day might be in paradise. That you and I might be reconciled to God, but he first had to do something. Now, the disciples got troubled when Jesus started talking about going away, and it got sorrowful in their heart, and Jesus says something really wonderful to them. I think sometimes we have the wrong emphasis when we quote this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, a lot of times we focus on mansions, but Jesus said this, I go to prepare a place for you. And what Jesus is saying is you are not ready for that place. The word go to prepare in the Greek means to make ready a place for you. Right now, in your current state, you are not ready to go there. I have to do this. You want me to do this. Yes, even this cross, even this dying and separation from you. I have to do this. I go to make ready a place for you. Because he will become our substitute. By taking upon our sin on himself, he is making already a place for you. He's giving you the opportunity, we would call it baptism, placed into Christ. But because we are now in Christ, we are now made ready. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am there, you might be also. He's made us ready. I love what Hebrews says concerning Abel, concerning Cain, and that, that word. It says when it talks of Jesus in this wonderful lofty statement in Hebrews 12 about what, how we have not come to uh, Mount Zion. We're not, we're not like that in the Old Testament, but he said we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of speak, sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel's blood. This blood of Jesus would speak better than that of Abel's blood. The word speaks means preach. It means to declare or to disclose whatever it is about Jesus' blood that's better than Abel's will preach. He says this blood is better. The word better means stronger, more useful, advantageous, more excellent. But what was it about that, that's so different between Abel's blood? Abel's blood cried out for justice. It was crying from the ground for vengeance, but Jesus' blood would atone. So he that started off as innocent like Abel has become Cain for us, who was not Cain. 
that we might be declared the righteousness of God in him. Someone asked the question as I close, was it for crimes that I have done? He groaned upon a tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. This has been my testimony for 40 years now. Since I, in that dining room in West Philadelphia, at my mother's table, who sits behind there, there, at nine years old, I asked Jesus into my heart at the cross. I remember that sense of the burdens of my heart rolled away. There, by faith, I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Why? I thirst. From the Gospel of John, verses, chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth, let's pray. Father, we certainly thank you that you thirsted because we will no longer have to thirst. Make that plain in our hearing today. In the precious name of Jesus we ask, amen. amen. When was the last time you were thirsty? <laughs> well, we've got some spring water right out there. I think it's Jacob's well. Can you remember a time that you were dying for a sip of something wet? But do you really, really, really know what it means to be thirsty? The writer says, all was now finished. And Jesus knew it. He's been hanging in excruciating pain for nearly three hours now, and the end is near. So you might be asking, what exactly was he Thirsty for? Well, certainly for something wet for his parched lips, his gritty mouth, his dry throat, that much is obvious. After the agony he's been enduring for hours now, Jesus is suffering from bitter dehydration and blistering thirst. Just please, something wet. And yet his thirst seems such a minor thing in light of the fact that his whole wounded, lashed, Pain-racked body hangs heavily on the cross. In the agony of his thirst, there's a jar full, a sponge full of sour wine. That's wine gone bad. In other words, what you and I call vinegar. Can you smell it? Can you taste it? The sharp scent and bracing taste must have stung our Lord. But the wetness offers just a moment of relief, bitter though it may be. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And John adds the editorial comment under the Spirit of God that it was to fulfill Scripture. Well, what, you might say, would that Scripture be? Could it be Psalm 69, as some commentators suggest, which reads, Save me, O God. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. 
Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to me. Redeem me. Set me free because of my enemies. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Now, that's a desperate, angry song. And it doesn't sound very much like the Jesus you might be used to. I would say, what happened to Father, forgive them. But perhaps the fulfilling of the scripture could be found in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist and Jesus too perhaps cry out, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. Psalm 22, 14 and 15. There's no doubt that our Lord was experiencing the absolute worst physical pain imaginable. It was real. 39 harsh slashes from the Roman whip. It's got bone and glass and metal in it. The excruciating crown of thorns, some of which are over two inches long, thrust into his head. The iron spikes driven through his hands right here, because this is the part that will hold you up on the cross, not here. The sheer torture of hanging there for three hours, gasping for each breath. But this means that God knows the enormity of human pain. Even the pain you and I experience in our illnesses, in the woundedness and heartbreak, because God became human flesh and felt that pain deeply on the cross. In the midst of that deep, desperate pain, Jesus expresses a simple reality. I am thirsty. He begs for something to soothe his dry mouth and loosen his tongue sticking to his jaws. I would submit to you that he was thirsty for something else, too, besides the physical need, besides for knowing that his suffering is soon to come to an end. I would say he was yearning for a reconciliation with the Father and with God the Holy Ghost. In Matthew 25, our Lord taught his disciples just a few days before this happens, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Jesus said, when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Mother Teresa had a 
sign placed above the entrance to the chapel and all her missions around the world. It read something like this. I thirst, I quench. Mother Teresa says she desired to satiate the thirst of Jesus on the cross for the love of souls. When we offer a cup of cold water to those in need, we are giving water to Jesus on the cross. We are quenching his thirst. When we serve others in Jesus' name, when we are helping to quench human need, we are serving the Lord himself. Perhaps as he was yearning for an end to his servant, Jesus seek to remind those who will follow him to serve, to quench the thirst of the needy, the downtrodden, the poor. But I mentioned to you that he was also thirsty for the renewed fellowship with his loving father. Yeah. Now, he's on a cross, brutalized. Right. He doesn't even look like a man. Right. And he's yearning for a reconciliation. He's yearning for a coming resurrection. He's yearning to return to the Godhead in eternity to experience again the sublime companionship of God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. And in light of that, maybe there's another psalm that gives spiritual sustenance to Jesus on the cross. Psalm 63 and 1. Oh God, you are my God. I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Or maybe perhaps it could be Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer longing for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Never in eternity had there been any separation of the companionship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost. But now because he's become sin for us, because he's bearing my nasty, stinky, filthy, rotten, smelly sin, he is separated from God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. Such a thing has never happened ever, ever before. And he longs, he is thirsty for that rift to be mended. But for you and me, he's allowing that separation to happen that you and me might be saying. That brings me to the third and concluding point. He thirsted so you and I would not have to thirst. He thirsted so that you and I would stop drinking out of broken cisterns. He thirsted so you and I, and I like the way the Amplified Bible puts it, stop drinking out of that dirty, nasty Jordan and Euphrates and Tigris rivers. You know what I'm trying to say. All those cisterns of fornication, all those cisterns of chasing power and position, all those cisterns of chasing lies and gossiping and any sin that you want to put there, we were looking for something that would never, ever satisfy our thirst. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, you remember that? I am the fount of living waters. Oh, you taste a little bit of my water. You ain't never going to thirst again ever. When I came in, Pastor Taylor and I were out there talking, and I saw your high-tech little water fountain. I thought it was something from Star Trek. 
I had to figure out how to get my water. But once I tasted that water, oh, my goodness. I thought it was from Jacob's well, and I was just glad I didn't have to break through some Philistines to get it. But it was sweet and refreshing. I want you to have that thought and think about the water Jesus offers you so that you will never thirst. It refreshes your soul. It revives your spirit. It makes you so that you won't want anybody or anything else because you'll find yourself complete in him. I thirst so you won't thirst. I thirst so I can take your sin in my body. I'm going to make this exchange. I'm going to exchange your sin for my righteousness. I don't want you ever to thirst again. That's why I thirst. Hallelujah. I apologize. No, I'm not. I'm not apologizing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The highest praise that we can give him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't say anything else but Hallelujah. That's it right there. He is risen. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God is risen. Hallelujah. You should be getting up and say, Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We don't need 10,000 tongues to say, Hallelujah. That's the respect, the admiration, the reverence that we give them. Hallelujah. My God, my God, hallelujah. Oh, what he done for you. What he done for you. What he done for you. You can say hallelujah. That's all he asked. That's it right there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you think back where you were until where you at now. You didn't have to be here. You didn't have to be here. But because of mercy and grace we can say hallelujah. Thank you Lord. When I was down and out you picked me up. Hallelujah. Some of us shouldn't even be here. I know I shouldn't be here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, no. I can't keep quiet. There is like fire shut up in my bones. I got to let it out. I'm so, no, I'm not sorry. I got to let it out. You don't know. You don't know what I've been through. I don't know what you've been through, but God brought you out. Hallelujah. John chapter 19. Verse 30. 
when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, we thank you. Have your way right now, Holy Spirit. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to talk about real quick about a mission. Mission possible. Yeah. Not mission impossible, but mission possible. Here we come again to Calvary. Calvary where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Calvary where God commended his love towards us. Calvary where Christ himself bore our sins in his own body. Calvary where he was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities, where the chastisement of our peace was upon him and where by his stripes we are healed. Calvary where echoed the cry, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. In the last two messages, we heard Jesus cry from the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I thirst. These words portray his sorrow and suffering, both physically and spiritually. Now we hear a different cry. This cry was like no other cry. It was different. It was... It was powerful. We hear the cry of victory. Trumpet. Victory. Oh, come on now. It's finished. It's a cry of trumpet victory, a jubilee. Hallelujah. Of the victor. You see, those who are defeated go out with a whimper. But the victor announced his victory loudly and broadly. And Jesus was, it wasn't a cry of I quit. It wasn't a cry I had enough. It wasn't a cry that it was too hard for me. It wasn't a cry that, oh, woe is me. But it was a cry of victory. Trumpet. Hallelujah. He said, he said, he said, he said it was a cry. He said, it finished. It is finished. In other words, it was completed. And it means to bring something to end and to completion Put the final touches on something. It, it, it means accomplishment. Not requiring more work or, or entirely done or completed. See, Jesus said, it is finished. You don't need to do anything else. You don't need to put nothing on it. I did it already. I put the icing and the cherry on it. You don't need to have nothing else. I even threw the whipped cream on it. It's done. It's finished. Woo. Who shall Go for us. Who shall I send? Jesus said, I go, Pop. I'll take that mission. Come on now. A lot of us are picking up the mission that from God and didn't know what we were getting into. That's why I we said, I'm out of here. But not Jesus. He knew what he was getting into. And he took it. He stood his ground. You see, uh, uh, he completed this mission. It was not a mission of impossible. It was a mission of possible. Because for us, it would have been impossible. We could never have done what he did. But he knew, how, he knew what he was doing. Come on now. 
How come it was possible because he said, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, come on. If one of us was given that mission, Pastor Benson, and we saw what we had to do, we would say, Lord, Lord uh, next time. Uh, let, 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 let Pastor Clarence have that one. Next time, I'll get the next one. It is finished. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant all the prophecy connected with his life and death have been fulfilled. Born of a virgin, descendant of David, named before he was born, born in Bethlehem, flee to Egypt, poor and needy, have a forerunner named John, cause of cause the, the, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. I was dumb, lame. And he caused me to see speak. Amen. Come on now. He, come on now. I wasn't by myself. He would be despised, rejected of men, hated without a cause, betrayed by friends, forsaken by his disciples, led to the slaughter. Number among the transgressors. Soldiers gambled for his garment. So when he cries out, it is finished. We know all that this has come to pass, that the scriptures have been fulfilled. Come on. There's some things we have not finished. Mm, Y'all looking at me kind of crazy. There's some things that we started but have not completed, have not finished. So we can't say it's finished, it's done. We're still working on it. We're still working on it. I know I am, Minister Haman, still working on it. Hallelujah. Two, I know a man named Paul who was given a mission. Paul said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure had come. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Well, another what Paul is saying, listen, I, it's time for me to go. I'm being offered as a sweet sacrifice. But you know what? The mission that God gave me, what God gave me to do, I finished it. I've been run out of town, beat down, beat up. <laughs> Come on, snake bitten, shape rick, ship You know what I'm saying. Action getting in the way. Hallelujah. I thirst. Say he been shipwrecked, snake bitten, but it didn't stop me. I finished my course. A lot of us would run out of town. We would have stayed out of town. A lot of us would have been snake bitten. We would have been done. There's some things we're going through. We quit. Our cry is not that of Victor. I cry that, I'm sorry. Help me. I can't take it no more. But not Jesus. And I can take a, a line from, a, from the Count of Monte Cristo. Jesus said on the cross, he said, do your best. Do your best. Some of them ain't going to say do your best. 
We're going to say, don't do your best. But see, he said, it's finished. He said, it's finished. Two, he meant that his suffering was over. He was called a man of sorrows. No man had ever been more fitting, never had a more fitting title. He suffered at the hands of man, of Satan, and of God. God bruised him and forsook him on the cross because he bore our sins. His friends and his enemy inflicted pain upon him. Woo! Woo! What got me, Pastor Benson, when they say he took the cup, I had to think about that. He drained that cup, the cup of sorrow, the cup of iniquity, the cup of division, the cup of, of, of sin, the cup of, 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 of fornication, the cup of procrastination. He drained that cup. And when he drained it, Pastor, he said, it's finished because now you don't have to drink from that cup. I took it all so you don't have to do it. It's finished. It's done. It's completed. Hallelujah. Not only that, he said the cup has been drained. The storm of God's wrath is spent. The darkness is ended. Woo! The wages of sin have been paid. And the Lord has been satisfied. Come on. It's finished. I could imagine, Pastor, and that the devil was down there. And his so-called kingdom with a, with, a, with a glass of Moret in his hand and, and whatnot, talking about, we heard him say it's finished. We don't want it. But see, he, if he had changed the battery of his hearing aid, he would have heard that cry different. He would have heard that it was not a cry that I quit. It was not a cry that I give up. But it was a cry that I done it. It's finished. It's done. Woo! The Bible said that the light shined in the darkness, but the darkness comprehended. Now, I can see it now, Pastor, as the devil rejoicing, we done did it. It's finished. There was a light standing there. It was a light, the light. As the devil looked up, <laughs> oh, boy, I don't know. Jesus said, how you like me now? But it let me know. That he snatched the keys of hell and death from the devil. Come on, and set the captives free. It is finished. Or death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Two more minutes, I'm done. Said third. He meant that his work of redemption was accomplished. No one will ever have to add anything in order to save a soul. He looked upon, he took upon the work that he had done. He looked upon the work he had done. He said, it stands finished. It is complete. It is done. He accomplished his mission. Hallelujah. Uh, he, uh, Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own ways, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now it's done. He has borne our sin 
and our redemption is complete. In Revelation 5, 9, it says, Thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kingdom, come on, and tongue and people and nation. We look and say, sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And I thought about that. But Jesus also nailed sin to the cross. You see, sin got no power on us no more. But once it was nailed to the cross with him, it was finished. Come on now. It was finished. He says, it's done. You don't need to put anything else to it. Stop trying to put something to it. Stop trying to add to it. It don't work. But see, I love this pastor because see, when Jesus finished his mission and he went up, but he gave us a mission. Come on. He said, all power has been given unto me. He said, now go and pe preach, teach, baptize it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Go to Samaritan over. That was our mission. And we said, I could do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Then I could finish that mission. Because Christ already finished his mission. Now I have a mission to finish. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I have a minute to finish. But I'll tell you this. As I sit down, Pastor, I thought about it some more. And I thought about it some more, Minister Haman. And I thought about some more, my moochie. That's my moochie over there back there. There's only one. And I thought about it a little bit more. Jesus came as a lamb and completed that work that was done. But there's a second work to be finished. Oh, when the trumpets sound. Oh, you're not hearing me. In a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on, uh, uh, corrupt must put on, corrupt, uh, uncorruptible. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruptible, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be, then shall be brought to pass the same that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. When we see our Lord and Savior coming as a lion the second time, because that's the second mission. He's coming back to get us. When the clouds crack, when the clouds crack open, and he's standing there, Lord of Lords. King of kings, the great I am, the prince of peace, the lamb of God, the holy lamb of God, counselor, wonderful counselor, saying, let's go. It's finished. And I want to stand before God. And when God asks me, why should I let you in? I could say to him, it's finished. What you gave to me is finished. And like Paul, I could tilt my crown to the side. It's completed now. Time. Minister Wilson. Back in the day, my um, those of you who really from, you know, your country, you remember you used to eat neck bones. We don't eat neck bones anymore. No, I don't have, 
I know I got some neck bone eating folks in the room. I know. My mother used to eat neck bones, and they would, they would just do damage to a neck bone. And then they would give it to the dog, and the dog would look at it like, what am I supposed to do with that? Dog didn't even want it. Brothers then came along, and they, didn't, they took all the meat off the bone. Gave me the little remnants. There ain't no even marrow on the bone. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're grateful. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us look to the Lord, our Father and our God. Now make us thankful for what we are about, for we, what we are now about to receive. Speak with my mind and my heart. Lord, say whatever it is you want to say. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted with a loud shout, Father! I entrust my spirit into thy hands. And with these words, he breathed his last breath. Brothers and sisters, it was spiritually dark on the day that Jesus was betrayed. The Jewish leaders, the Zechariah 2.8 says that the Israelites, the Jewish leaders, were the apple of his eye. They had perpetrated the crime. They had put to death, the cruel death, Jesus, the Son of God. If you think about it, it was the creation who raised its fists and now kills and puts to death the creator. It was spiritually dark. It was also physically dark. For Jesus had been on the cross some six hours, from 9 a.m. to about now 3 p.m. And, and the, 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 the sun, the big eye of the world, is a poem that talks about with all its millions and sextillions of candle light power, that same sun that God put in the sky and it refused to sign on the day that Jesus died. It went down in protest against this horrific scene. It, it, it did not look good for the master. For those of us who just got into church and for those of us who have not been churched and not been in church all your life, it begs the question, why in the world do we call it Good Friday? I mean, most of us are Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, brothers, you know, we, we know the scriptures. We've seen what happens on Sunday. We, we know all of that. But if you're in the event at the time, you're wondering, if I would have told somebody uh, nudged them and said, man, this is Good Friday. They looked at me like I was crazy. 
Why in the world would you call this Good Friday? Well, well, uh, uh, if we interrogate this text, as the brothers have done, in, in it, you know, from a CSI perspective, you know, if we investigate the text, it will then reveal to us why it was good. Follow with me. Uh, it began, the day began by them putting nails in his hands and putting nails in his feet. They, am I right about it? Yes. They, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Yes. Am I right about it? Amen. I mean, is that in your copy of God's Word? You, you, you're not going to talk to me. Y'all not going to fall asleep on me. It ain't. It, y'all ain't had chitlins or anything like that yet on Good Friday yet. All right. <laughs> it, it, it did not look good, but, but they forgot about the fact that Jesus was a carpenter. Uh, they, they, they forgot about the fact that what, what happens when you give uh, a carpenter just three nails and, and two pieces of wood. I, 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 brothers and sisters, it was good because the carpenter was building a bridge. He was building something. They, they didn't understand that, the, that Jesus was the master builder. Uh, uh, how can they build? You said, well, Brother Preacher, I was with you for a moment, but how can you build when you're bleeding and you're dying on a cross? Well, uh, but, but, but Jesus now uh, is building, but, but look at the components of how he was building. He was bleeding. They didn't understand how he hung on a cross, and while he was bleeding, uh, the text says that he was shedding blood. Uh, he was shedding blood, but I, I would be parenthetically that the blood, as it was dripping, it dripped on you and you and and you and you. Uh, uh, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The hymn writer says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and Sinners plunge beneath the flood. They lose all their guilt and stains. I, I think that's good. Not, not only was he bleeding, but the only thing, the other thing was that he was forgiving. You, you, you heard the, the preacher preach already that he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You, you know the only ones who could travel, if you build a bridge, the only ones that could travel on the bridge that Jesus was building was the pure in heart. You see, this bridge that he was building had a toll. And, and, and none of us could pay the toll to cross the bridge. But because of his blood on the cross, because of, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he will, we all as Christians were given an easy pass. 1 John 1 9 says, uh, we, if we confess our sins, he, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm says that, that who can unseal unto the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. So, so, so not only was he bleeding, not only was he forgiving, but, but thirdly, he was promising. He was providing. 
Because if you build a bridge, you have to test that bridge. The, the engineers will come and test the bridge to make sure that people can cross the bridge. Uh, so while he was bleeding and forgiving and, and then he was providing, you read, you heard the, the preacher say that truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He promised the thief on the cross that he would be a traveler on this bridge. And its destination was heaven. Jesus promised, simply we know the verse, it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 14.1-3 says, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in, in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing the bridge. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Uh, brothers and sisters, I'm glad and, and today that the bridge through uh, Jesus, because of this thief, it, it was tested. It was tested by a thief. It was tested by a drug addict. It was tested by a liar. It was tested by a mourner, a, a, a murderer. It was tested by those who, uh, who, who are addicted to porn. And it was tested by those who are addicted to all kind of sins because those that have died in Christ, hallelujah, they were able to cross that bridge. Then, then, not only was he bleeding and promising, but then he was finishing. You heard Minister Will, he says, now, he said in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus had received the wine, he says, it is finished. One of the things that I love about it is finished that mama used to, for those of you, I'm old school, you know, I just, I'm just old school. Believe in Kool-Aid and, 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 and wish sandwiches, you know what I'm saying, back in the day. Fried bologna sandwich. I may go home after this and get me a fried bologna sandwich. Now, some of y'all, y'all young folk, y'all millennials, y'all don't know anything about that, you know what I'm saying? But, but back in the day, mama used to, mama, my mother put away a kitchen set. And, and she went, I remember, we'd go down to Fifth and, Fifth and Olney down in Philly. Every other week, we'd go down where she'd get paid, and she put $50 on that on that, that kitchen set. And I was wondering as a child, when are we ever going to see this kitchen set? And after months upon months, seemed like years had passed. One day I went with my mama and she put down the last payment, hallelujah. And they stamped on the bill, it is paid in full. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So, so what he did on the cross was, you see, you see, when, when, when you have this finishing work, uh, the architect says, uh, it is finished. I, I've made this bridge between earth and glory. I've bridged the gap between God and man, and it is finished. But then, but then what, what, was, what was interesting is, is that he was cutting. Not only was he bleeding, forgiving, promising, and finishing, but he was cutting. We, we read the, the verse, look at Luke, Luke 23, verse 45b says, The curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
that this curtain was over eight feet high and it was about three inches thick. But every bridge building project, they tell me, you remember, if you see a new bridge, they have a ribbon cutting ceremony. Yeah. And, 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 but, but, but for this ceremony, it, it, it was a different type of ceremony. You see, uh, uh, what Jesus did was at the ribbon cutting ceremony, when he cut the ribbon, when he cut the curtain, he gave direct access for all that would cross. Uh, 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 the, you know, the, before the bridge had been built, you had to go through a high priest. And to get access to God, they're, 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 but, but, but now you, you didn't have to go through the priest. Traffic was rerouted. You, you had direct access to God because of the bridge. Or somebody ought to praise God for the bridge. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 tells us, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new living, life-giving way through the curtain because the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus is the master carpenter, included bleeding, forgiving, promising, finishing, and cutting. But the opening of every bridge usually concludes with a closing statement. The, the, the architect, who uh, the builder of the bridge, then says in Luke 23, verse 46, he says, Then shouted Jesus, Father... I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last breath. Jesus, in his closing statements, now commits himself and all that he had done to his, with his father. In his closing remarks, he's he had taught many. He repeats a prayer that was taught to many. Many of you, you, you remember when you were a child. I'm saying I'm old school again, and we were... Mama taught me to get on my knees, and she taught me the prayer of now I, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I see some of y'all know that. I pray the Lord my soul to take. But when I got older, my, my, my father taught me uh, the Lord's Prayer. And, and as I got older, I began to pray for myself. And I realized that, that, that over a period of time, uh, mama had prayed for me, grandmama had prayed for me, and there were some times when I realized that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and I could hear mama's prayers. I, I was in a club when I shouldn't have been in a club. I was in somebody's house when I shouldn't have been in somebody's house. I was driving somewhere when I should not have been driving, but, but, but because of mama's prayers... He heard me. But when he says, Father, forgive them, that's one prayer. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Notice the difference between the two. My God, my God, meaning fellowship was broken. But now he's back again and saying, Father, Daddy. He has rekindled the fellowship between him and God. Oh, brother, when you understand, when he says to him, uh, Jesus never left the cross. Follow me now. He never left the cross. He never left the cross. 
All of us will have some dark and some dismal days. Their life is hard. Life sometimes gets heavy and some things don't go the right way. Relationships don't go the right way. We go, we work at a job for 20 years and get laid off and we, 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 they, they tell us goodbye and thank you. Uh, but, but what Jesus reminds us on the cross, that although that life may put us on the cross, sometimes that we may feel as though they are crucifying us I still have a bridge to the Father. I can still call on Jesus in the midnight hour. There are times when I when I can't get to sleep and and, and things are you know when you got less let we got more month than money and and, and your bills are due and you trying to figure out how you're gonna pay uh, Delmarva and how you gonna play. Verizon and how you gonna play Ford or Chrysler or whatever else. Jesus says to us in the midst of all of that that you still got a relationship with the Father. You need to say, just like Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Father, into thy hands I commit this relationship. Father, in thy hands I commit my children. Father, into thy hands I commit this issue. Oh, he gave a model. Ain't no sense in you getting depressed. Ain't no sense in you laying up in a bed in a fetal position. Jesus never got off the cross. He never left the cross. But while he was on the cross, he looked up and saw because of the bridge. He said, I finished the bridge. I've done what you've commanded me to do. Now there's laid up for me a plan. I can go back home, but when I go back home, even though the 11 have, de- have, have deserted me, even though nobody is there but John, even though I got to leave mama in somebody else's care, I can go home because I can cast it into the Father's hands. Oh, brothers, brothers and sisters, when you, when, when you put it in the Lord's hands, that's, that, that's, good, that's good work. You, you got to remember now that the same hands were the hands that broke bread. You, you worried about food. Don't worry about it. He can break bread and feed 5,000. Uh, you, you, you worried about the storms of life, you know, the storms. He can speak to your winds and speak to your ways. Tell them that he can speak to your boss and say, sit down and shut up and leave her alone. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I know because it's in his hands. You don't serve this mamby-pamby God. You serve the God of the universe. Colossians says that Jesus was not just some man, some good prophet. I tell my people that either he was the, the, the son of God or he's the biggest liar in the history of mankind. He can't be either one or the other. Either he was God, because when he says that he was God, the Bible says so. Bible says in Colossians that in him was the fullness of the deity. Oh, in fact, if you look at John, him and Paul, Paul and John get together and say, all things were made by him, and there was nothing made that was not made by him and for him. So if it was all made for him, guess what? You were made for him. Uh, don't, 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 don't think that he don't know about the problem between you and your spouse. It was made for him. Yeah. It was made by him. Yeah. 
uh, the storms of life come, it was made by him. The, the bills that you can't pay, it was made by him. He wants you to get to that point where you are on your knees and you say to him, Father, for into thy hands I commit my spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs>